really good to be here. Um, love this church, love your leaders, and just the spirit of hospitality and generosity and kindness has just been a beautiful thing. And so, um, yeah, so it's my pleasure to be here today with you all. And I didn't know that I was closing out this series, so this is like LeBron step aside, bringing the closer, the last two minutes, and I get to finish the game off. So, <laughs> love that part. Anyways, <laughs> why don't you pray with me and we'll get serious. Father, thanks for your love. Thank you for who you are. And um, Lord, you are in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you are a God who invites us into deep, reconciling relationship with you, Lord. So um, we bless your name. And we're just, we're just saying we're open to what you have to say. Maybe even rearrange our own paradigms of how we viewed community or how we view community or experiences in community. And God, let us hear what you have to say afresh and anew in this moment. So we welcome you, Spirit of God, to speak to us, awake us up. And just maybe start pushing on our hearts to come alive in areas that we didn't know that we needed life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, yeah, I have to read the passage. All right. Um, ex the passage today is in Exodus 17, verses 8 through 13. So get out your digital Bibles if you want. It will be also, also, it will be on the screen. Um, verse 8. The, Amal the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. This is God's word. All right. So the story of Exodus is a, is a demonstration of God's creating a people. God was not creating a religion. He was creating a people. He was taking a group of people that were in slavery, that were in bondage, and was freeing them and creating a new community. He was liberating people. And as you read through like all of scripture, you see this pilgrim people that God is creating to be his own, to reflect who he is to the world. You guys agree with me? And then when you do agree with me, let me know. Amen. All right. You guys got it. Community is, is the primary organizing structure of life. Six of the Ten Commandments have to do with how God wants the people to live in community with one another. You shouldn't, you shouldn't steal from one another. It's actually bad for your relationship. You shouldn't covet what your neighbor has. So all these, all these organizing principles, not just because God's the killjoy, just because he knows what it means to be in community with one another and what's important and how you value one another will, will, will lead to the depth of your relationship. You guys with me? All right. 
So to say the least, this is a big topic. This is, this is not a subtopic. This is not a sidebar. Well, it's nice if community happens. It's, it's big. It's all of scripture. And I'm going to try to get it all in one sermon. You guys with me? Put your seat and recline. We're going to be here a while. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I, where I want to go is I want to speak to what I think might be a challenge for us today. And, and why I kind of use this obscure passage that you've probably not heard preached for a community. And I, can I have permission to be honest? Amen. I got a couple there. Okay, the rest you're not sure if you want me to be honest. I'm going to be honest. I love the idea of community. I, I love the idea of it. Especially when I see it happen in, in a movie, right? Like remember the Titans. You're like, oh, that's such a beautiful moment. Man, like you get, get tingles. <laughs> or you watch a, like a, you know, everyone, a lot of people plant churches and you see these videos. We're working together. We're building a church. You're like, oh, man, that's so beautiful. It's so awesome when the community works. Right? You, you feel really good and you're like, yes, I want that. That's the ideal community. So I, we, I love the idea of community. And I think sometimes when we think about community, we think it's just doing acts of kindness. Community, we do, we do acts of kindness with people we like. I'm going to preach it today. Some of you are going to catch it. Some of you are not going to catch it. You get the podcast. Um, but what I, when I talk about community... I'm talking about commitment. And the kind of commitment that pushes up against our pride. The, the kind that causes us to drop our guard and drop the false self. I don't know about you, but I, I was raised to make it on my own. Though I had a family, how I was being raised, the, the liturgies of our house were to say, you got to go out and make it on your own. You got to get it on your own because no one's really going to be there for you. And this, is, and this is what I've been taught. Maybe you've been taught the same way, especially if, you're, if, if you've grown up in Western culture. We make it. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And when things go wrong, we fix it. That's, that's my default setting. You can't really depend on others because if you depend on others, that means you're weak. That means you're weak. You couldn't do it yourself. You're not going to get invited to the TED stage. You're not going to get invited to write a leadership book because your leadership style is weak. You need other people. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So, yeah, if, you, if, we, if you're raised in the culture of needing others is weakness, then I can just think of examples in my life where that's worked, where that hasn't worked. <laughs> hey, run out of gas. You need gas? No, I'm good. I, I think I got it on my own. You're lifting weights. Hey, you need help? No, I, got, I don't need a spot. I got it. <laughs> You're short on cash? No, I'm good. I'm good. Because that, that's like pushing against my pride, right? Are you hurting? I'll sit with you. No, I, I got this. I can heal on my own. And we begin to take this posture of, I can do it by myself, I don't need others, into so many areas of our lives and not even realize it. If I'm honest, the older and older I get, the more I realize that I need other people. The older and older I get, I realize the more and more that I can't do this by myself. I'm not a superstar. 
And I think what God does is many times he, he puts me in a situation and pushes my hand to challenge my pride that I have blocking others from getting into my life. Because community is about depth. It's about going deeper. And the deeper you get, the more you realize how emotionally unhealthy I am. And how I block people out of the intimate places and vulnerable places of my life. So here in Exodus, the people of God are, are traveling. They've just been liberated from slavery. They've just walked through the Red Sea. They've experienced manna daily, fresh at the door every morning. They just had an explosion of quail that God gave them. Um, and with all this, they're still in a state of complaining. They're still complaining. They are still unhappy. And they're, and they're this close to wanting to go back to Egypt because they're thirsty. Because they don't have any water. And so they, Moses, in the beginning of this chapter, gets his staff and he strikes the rock. And water gushes out from the rock. And, and Moses, after that happens, he names the place. And I was just thinking like, man, if that happened today, I, I got saved in the charismatic church. We would call that place like outpouring 2018. Right? <laughs> Like you set up a tent, we're going we're gonna to have like revival here, we're going to have a conference here. <laughs> it says, <laughs> silliness. Verse 7, Moses says, he called this place Masa, I'm going to pronounce it very bad, and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Masah. Place of testing, Meribah, place of strife. We're still talking about community. They were in a place of testing and a place of strife. Um, this, this won't be on the screen, but M. Scott Peck says that you can't have community unless you first go through conflict. And if you don't go through conflict and you think you have community, you have pseudo-community. Yeah, community happens on the other side of testing and trials. After this day, community is not, is not Facebook either. And if any of you guys worked it, I'm not, I'm not throwing shade. <laughs> but if you think social media or texting is community, it's not community. After this, they, be, they, they, they continue traveling, the people of God that God is forming. And it says they were ambushed. There was a sneak attack by their enemy, the Amalekites. It says in verse 8, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And so they're, they're, they're moving, they're journeying. They're supposed to go to place of promise. Everyone's bickering and they're complaining. God's trying to form a people. And what, what, Moses, what does Moses do? Moses, a, a, the great leader Moses, he says, Joshua, you go on the front lines and I'm going to go on the top, of the, top of the top of the mountain. We're safe. Verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Good leadership. <laughs> but seriously, jo J Joshua had a role in the community. Moses had a role in the community. And it was very important that they understood how their roles worked together to, for God to advance the community that he was advancing. It goes on to say that Moses, 
was on the top of, of the mountain, on top of the cliff, and he, he held up his hands and staff. And it says, as he held his hands up, Joshua and the people of God would start winning. And it, that seems simple enough, right? God says, hold up your hands and you will win. You will be victorious. So I don't know about you, but my hands get tired just through the first set of worship. <laughs> so I went, you know, I went to a very expressive church. And sometimes they'd be like, saints, we got to pray. We got to lay hands on this person. And pastor prayed for a really long time. Like, man, I can't pray for them any longer with my arms. <laughs> this is really hard. Verse, the first half of verse 12, Moses' hands grew tired. Moses' hands grew tired. And I want you to, I want you to use your imagination right now. Moses, uh, the leader of the greatest movement on earth, is losing his strength to lead in front of everybody. He's in the front, he's on the mountain, he's visible to everyone, he's leading, and his arms, he can't hold his arms up. And as his arms are failing, as his leadership is failing, the community is suffering. I want you to, to think about that. Moses is, he's, he feels as though he's failing and he's on this mountain. And, and what's significant about this mountain is he's not alone on the mountain. He's got Aaron and her, or Aaron <laughs> and her. He's got them. That's how I envision it. That's how I envision it. You got Aaron with them. And um, <laughs> that's the last joke. I'm serious. All right. <laughs> He's not alone. He's got people with him. He's got people with him to do this job. Aaron and her's job are literally there to help a brother out. Aaron and her, that's their job. They're there to lift their brother up. And I don't know how long Moses was struggling. I don't know how long he was trying to keep his arms up on his own. I don't know if he glanced over and got eye contact with Aaron and her. I don't know if he asked for help, but here's what we know. Aaron and her come to help. When Mo, verse 12, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him. He sat on it. Aaron and her held up his, his hands, held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset all day. They're upholding their brother for the people of God. What happens if Moses doesn't allow his friends to hold his arms? What happens if he doesn't allow them to help him? Sometimes you will get tested and, and pushed to your limits where you have to push aside your pride. So that God can use others in your life to advance the community. I'm, I'm, I'm going to share a, a real moment with you guys. There's, I've been, I planted church about five years ago. And been going hard at it in Brooklyn. And I, I always feel this pressure that I have to be good at everything. I have to be sufficient. I have to come ready and ready to deliver and ready to give something. And similar to what you guys do, we have a, a pre-service prayer time. And we, had, we were having that time and it was clear that I was feeling weak. I was feeling 
not able to, to carry my load. And a dear brother of mine says, he read this passage and said, Rashad, I think we need to do this for you right now. So I think we have the picture of it. You might, you might. There it is. Yeah. And, um, and I just want to tell you, like, how difficult this was. They kept saying, quit trying to hold your arms up on your own. And I had a, I had, we're in a public school like you guys, and everyone's walking by, they're like, what's going on, Rashad, man? Or what kind of church is this, man? This is weird. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just standing there, and I'm, and I, and I, I'm, I'm letting the, the weight of my body literally in the hands of my brothers and sisters around me. I'm literally holding my arms up, and I'm, and I'm crying. I'm being vulnerable, and I'm like, I just want this to end so fast. <laughs> And I just, I just want to say, like, there's times, many times in life where we feel that way. We're exhausted, and we're trying to keep it together, and we don't let other people come in and be community. And I, and I want to say that like, hindsight is beautiful, and it's beautiful that I was able to have this memory, because what it reminded me of is that we, we need community. We were, we were meant for community. In a culture that says, I want to do things on my own, where solo leadership is embraced and celebrated, man, I need other people to hold my arms up. I need other people to help me when I feel weak, to come into my life in my vulnerable places. We need others. We are our brother's keeper. Community has been undermined and attacked throughout all the history of humankind. Salvation, saying yes to Jesus, becoming a follower of Jesus is not merely a personal thing. It's communal. It's, it's instant and it's a process. Joseph, Joseph Hellerman captures this beautifully. He says, the idea of salvation cannot be reduced to a personal relationship with Jesus. God's plan is much more encompassing. God intends for salvation to be a community-creating event. I remember I'd meet people along the way or my friends that no longer go to church and they go, man, I don't need church. Just me and Jesus. I got it. I, man, I just go out and I do my thing and I connect with the Lord and, that's all, and I'm good. I don't need all the drama of people and it's full of hypocrites in there anyway. And the story of, of the gospel, the picture of us coming to Jesus is, is being baptized into the body of Christ. It's, it's not come to Jesus and stay home and just podcast and worship album. Like you were baptized, you were literally transformed from one life to another life. Like it says, we have a new citizenship. We have a new identity. We're new creatures. That God has moved us from death to life. From something to something grander. From what we were doing before to what God is doing now. 
And so we can't just go home and isolate ourselves because that's not what God's doing. God is putting us and baptizing us into community, into his body. And so us together, we do something great for God, with God. So we call mission. And so we're placed in community because God has a mission to do with his church. Like we have a purpose. We were meant to do something. We were meant to do it collectively that the people of God that he's been forming together since Exodus are here as a, as a preview community of what God's doing. To put the kingdom of God on display. Bill Bible says that the, he believes that, and I believe this too, that the church is the hope of the world. That us, this ragtag group of believers from all different walks of life and stories and narratives, us together, God is using to confound the wise and to show the world what he's like. And I know if you're like me, and maybe you're not, when I go to sleep at night, I dream that I'm the star. When I close my eyes and I dream about sports or whatever it is, write an article that, that I'm going to have the most hits, that I'm going to make the top ten. You know what I mean? Like I don't, no one ever dreams of being just a small part. <laughs> We're called to do this together. Aristotle, I'm going to get, it's a good quote, right? Aristotle. He says, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And you're saying there's, there's synergy in that posture. There's something grand that happens when we realize that we are a part of something grander. That the church is supposed to be a movement. And what moves us as a people of God is that we have a shared destiny. We have a distinctive of being a community of God. We have a shared destiny that the kingdom of God is at hand. That the kingdom of God is at hand, it's in motion, and we have a role to play together to see the kingdom of God come and break into our world. The Hebrew word, one of the Hebrew words for community is, is, is witness. And it, 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 it works, it, when, it's, when it uses a verb, it means to set apart, to designate, to determine. It means that we have a, a, an aim, an object, a purpose, or mission. The, the people of God, if you, if you read about the Jewish community, they believe they had a sense of calling based on who God is, and that's what distinctly made them a community. Because they've, both, they've all witnessed the same thing. They have all witnessed, man, God splitting the Red Sea. They've all witnessed God bringing water out of a rock, that God bringing manna from heaven, and we have, that have said yes to Jesus have experienced the resurrection of our souls. And that is the thing that unifies us, that submerges us into community. You guys with me? All right. I, I want to depend on myself. And I think community is God's way of weeding out our pride. I mean, imagine Moses is sitting on this rock with two people holding up his arms. And Moses is a little older. And I'm sure everyone's like, oh, man, poor Moses. He's exhausted. It's, it, it, it probably pushed him in an area of, of, his, of his pride and of being a strong, capable leader. 
So I started, um, I started CrossFit this week. Um, <laughs> shameless, humble plug. Um, and I'm like, I'm in CrossFit, and I'm like, I got this. I played high school football. <laughs> so I got a trainer, 20-something, small little girl, you know, like, trying to show me how to, do, how to lift weights, trying to show me how to power clink. I'm like, I've been doing this before you're born. <laughs> I don't need help. Because I don't want to look foolish. And, and one of the goals in this weightlifting organization is that, that you're doing this in community. It's not so much about lifting the weight, but it's about being in community and having a common thing that pulls you together. We're not meant to do this alone. Sometimes we, I think people think um, their lack of not pursuing or getting involved in community is only between them and God or only affects them and has no bearing on the community or the church that God has placed them in. When we don't pursue community, it has a massive effect on the people of God. When you, don't, when you, when you come here and give only a percentage of yourself to this church, everyone else loses on what you could bring to the table. It has an effect on people. If you're not in community, your gifts are atrophying. Because your gifts are exercised in community. Your gifts are, are explored, you understand them, they're birthed in community. Imagine if Aaron and her stood back and said, man, Moses is a leader, that's on him. If he can't keep his arms up, that's on him, right? That's not on me. And I wonder how often we sit back and watch people hurting and can't keep their arms up and we keep to ourselves. And, and New York is notorious of letting people struggle on their own. <laughs> Can you imagine having to keep your arms up that whole time and there's people that God's placed on that mountain with you that don't help you? Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. In this way you fulfill the law of Christ. You will fulfill the law of Christ. I like the King James, bear one another's burdens. This sounds a little, tough, a little more brolicky. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. People, we have a responsibility to lift each other up. We can't just walk in and walk out and say, man, I'm just doing my own thing. I'm on my own grind. Like we are here to lift each other up, not in a shallow, pretentious way. Like really go in deep and lift and carry each other's burdens. And great leaders, great strong people need to let other people in. Yeah, let them in and, let, and be vulnerable. And I know that that's hard, especially if you've been burnt. If you've been around people long enough, you've been burnt. You've, been, you've experienced betrayal, backstabbing, gossip. You've experienced it. And, it, and, and you know, community is a sore spot. It's like, I'm not, I'm not getting too close. I'm not getting too deep. 
Grace and peace. <laughs> I know. Sometimes healing comes from the thing that you've been hurt from. We can't bring the fullness of the kingdom into our lives or into our world by ourselves. So here's my question for you. Who are you in community with? Sometimes we, because we have our ideals of what community should look like, that fighting and bickering and hard times doesn't feel like community. It doesn't feel like the path to community. And I, want you to let you, I just want to remind you of this story that this is a group of people that are walking through the desert, road tripping by foot for years. And so whatever your spiritual journey is, know that there's times there's going to be conflicting circumstances that God is using to form you, to challenge you, to make you get the speck and the log out your own eyes so you can actually be a healthy contributor to the community. And he's taking the community through challenges, through terrain, maybe the valley, so he can shape and form and weed out all the things that keep us against each other. Just being in the room together doesn't make you community. Real community. This is what we're talking about. Real community. The stuff that doesn't make videos. The stuff that's not getting posted. That's not your Twitter status. I mean, it's like real community is messy. It's hard. It takes commitment. It takes humility. It's not networking. It's not what can you do for me. It's not based on meritocracy. It's not community. We say often in our community, our currency is grace and mercy. The currency in which we interact with each other is grace and mercy. What if we interact with each other that way? Not on what you could do for me, not on where do you work, not on where have you been, not on where are you going, but man, out of a response to what Jesus has done for you. The word in the New Testament is koinonia. The word that you see in your Bible is translated fellowship. And here's some synonyms for it. Family. Home. Together. The same family, a common home. It's also commonly used to describe an intimate relationship of marriage. And I know some of you are like, no way, I'm not trying. Like, that's, that's a little too deep. <laughs> that's a little too close. And, 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 the, and, the, and the writers are saying, man, this is, this is deep. This is the fellowship that we have with God. God expects us to have with one another. So the bar is high. Depth of community is connected to the depth of what unites you. And so the, if it's for Jesus, if it's for the risen king, the, for the slain one who, who lives forever, who sits at the right hand of the Father, that determines the depth in which we are called to be in community. See, the great revivals and moves of God 
historically have happened when community was, was deep, when community was united. It's, it's how the, the church was birthed. It says, Acts 2 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And many of us will go, I go to church, the teaching, break of bread, do communion, pray, I pray during a worship song. <laughs> they, they were devoted to themselves, koinonia, fellowship, deep intimacy. They were, they were connected and committed to one another. The person that ate everything in the buffet line before you got there. <laughs> right? Community is tough, it's challenging, but they were committed to that depth of intimacy. They were committed to one another. The person that voted for someone we don't like. The person who has a different af political affiliation. The person who lives in a different part of the neighborhood. The person who worships different. <laughs> Committed deeply, intimately with one another. Success is determined and measured by how well we're in community. How well we do community. I'm gonna, I just have a few things that I've just experienced that I just I, I want to share. Community is not to satisfy individual goals. Community is not a buffet where you just come in and say, I like this part of the community. I like that part of the community. I like that. I don't like that. I'm going to skip that. That's not, it's not, we can get that everywhere else in life if we try to bring that to the church. We have this ideal of what it's supposed to be like. It's only, like, it's like, like there's no vegetables on the meal. Well, that's how I like to eat. I don't, I don't want to skip that. And yet, like the depth of our communities when we engage and plunge in it all the way. It's not about our preferences. And we have to move past the sentimentality of community and stop worshiping the idea of it or using it only to climb a ladder or to become or to look important. Right? For me, when things get hard, I actually don't want to depend on others. I want to isolate myself because that takes too much work. And that pushes too many parts of myself that I don't want to confront. A midrash, which is a, it was a Hebrew commentary, says this, like, it's not going to be on the screen, but it says, not being in community is, is likened to removing oneself from community to destroying the world. Removing oneself from community to destroying the world. That's how it compares removing yourself from community. And sometimes our scorecard, our spiritual scorecard is not so much what I did, but what I did, but what I did wrong. And... And this Hebrew Eastern perspective is like, it's, it's more about what you didn't do. It's, it's not that you did something wrong. It's that you didn't do what was right. And they're saying remove it. Because the, the understanding was that God's creating a community to change the world. God's creating a community to bless and to bring the kingdom and if you choose not to be in community, well, then you're working against God blessing the world. 
because our community is a witness. The, the, the world needs to see the church can get this right. The world needs to see that the church can actually get along. It can actually have deep fellowship that can actually break down the walls that divide. That the church can go deep even when we disagree, even when we don't see eye to eye because we are so committed to this thing. We are so committed to one another. Come on, married people. Right? It takes work. We like different types of food. We like different kinds of drinks. We like different movies, right? Right? And we're, but we're so committed to this thing that there's nothing that's going to get in the way of us going deep because we know the prize. We know the kingdom's at hand. And we know what we do and how we interact and how we confront and go there will show the world what the people of God and what God is like. You guys with me? We about to land this plane. The last thing. One sign of a Jesus community is diversity. Diversity is a major key. We talk, we talk a lot about this. I know that you guys hear about it. And I just want to say personally that the diversity is not just having a black friend who went to Ivy League school with you. <laughs> it's not having a black friend just to seem woke. It's not having a person of minority, person of color, or, or female, or whatever, to look progressive to other people. The beauty of the church is that Jesus reconciles all things. And he invites us into community with him. And he invites us all into community with one another. In Revelation, that's, that's the picture. Throne of God and everyone, all nations, all tongues, all languages. Worshiping the God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty in unity and synchronized. Like that's, that's the picture. Stanley Howard Rice says it beautifully. The church is con constituted as a new people who have been gathered from the nations to remind the world that we are in fact one people. Gathering, therefore, as an eschatological act, as it is a foretaste of the unity of the communion of the saints. And I just want to say, when you're not in community, I don't get to see the beautiful way that Jesus has worked in your life. If I hang around people that are just like me, I get one aspect of how God has, has broken into our culture. But I would, it's beautiful when I get to know other people's. As beautiful as you get to understand how God's broken into my life. And, and when we're together, when we're in Koinia, we're in fellowship, and, we're, and our community is vastly diverse, we get a better and a clearer picture of who God is. And we're showing the world a better and a clearer picture of who God is. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Pray that that would be our witness. The last thing Moses does, he does. They hold his arm up till sunset, still his hand. They win the battle. And it says, Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is our banner. We're, we're not, I'm not talking about a secular diversity. <laughs> I'm talking about the Lord is our banner, Jesus who reconciles all things, who is reconciling all things, the one who, who, who 
broke the curse of sin, who broke out of the grave, who shamed principalities and powers, who's risen, like who saved us, who brought us from darkness to life. That's our banner. That's what we hold load of ourselves and we lock arms and we go, man, I'm committed to this thing. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for us and give us a little opportunity to, to respond. Father, thanks for Jesus, author and finisher of our faith, the one who was, who is, and is to come, altogether lovely, healer, you are our banner. We just say that we're yours, all of us, every single part of us is yours, Father. God, thank you for the church. We're your body. It says that you dwell in your people. So thank you that you're here. God, we, we just stop and pause and recognize your presence. We say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Let your word richly change us and thrust us into pursuing you and our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen.